Thank you for joining us for Friends and Followers, a podcast brought to you by the Seton Shrine, where stories of those who were inspired by Mother Seton's life and mission are shared. It is our hope that you might find inspiration as well, and a deeper understanding about who Elizabeth Ann Seton is. And you can subscribe to this podcast to receive the latest episodes. We hope that you enjoyed them. Thank you. Today, we have a special podcast. We are going to discover who Elizabeth followed, who she considered her friends. A few weeks ago, Bridget, my usual co-host, encouraged me to find out more about Mother Seton's relationship and devotion to the Holy Family. I thought this was a great topic, and if I'm being honest, I thought it would be easy, right? Elizabeth named her school, her chapel, her land after St. Joseph, clearly a devotion there, She wrote beautiful thoughts about Mary, especially during her time in Italy. And Jesus, a devotion to the infant Jesus, is what is quoted. Give a gift to the Lord during Advent, she would say. Do an act of kindness for the divine infant. Easy, right? Well, what I discovered is that she lived this devotion. For Elizabeth Ann Seton, this relationship was personal. It was a relationship, not just an admiration or a reverence like she had for St. Francis Xavier or St. Teresa of Avila. The Holy Family was her family. What did this family give her and why is it important at Christmas time is what I started to wonder. So hopefully this will not be too confusing. This is kind of how my thoughts went. This time of year, Christmas, there are so many people who are sad. There's an emptiness, maybe from missing someone or a broken relationship. At Christmas, end of the year, we're taught to remember all the years gone by. For many people, those are not happy memories. I believe it is not something that people think about consciously. It's more of a mood, a feeling, a feeling they cannot shake. Christmas is built on emotions, memories. And when you are missing something, someone, There's just an emptiness you can't replace. Visitors will ask us all the time, did Elizabeth feel sad at Christmas? Her husband died a few days after Christmas. Harriet, her sister-in-law, died a few days before Christmas. Some will even say, how could she get past that? Well, we will say no, she was not sad. That she had a devotion to the divine infant. She knew what his birth meant and what it gave us. But how did she get there? So let's start with Mary. For Elizabeth, she had lost that, had that separation of mother. She had lost her mother at three years old. Many people feel that same loss of a mother for a variety of reasons. For Elizabeth, it was because her mother had died. In my own experiences, a loss of a parent, a spouse, a child, a sibling leaves a bigger hole, a bigger emptiness than any other death you might experience. Elizabeth's mother dies in May of 1777. Her grandfather, who she was very close to and had been living with on occasion, dies in October of that same year. Then her father remarries, 19-year-old Charlotte. Charlotte is now brought into the home to care for three young daughters. And very shortly after that, Elizabeth loses her youngest sister, Catherine. During the ages of three and four, Elizabeth suffers a lot of death, a lot of tragedy. 
Elizabeth would later write in her dear remembrances. At four years of age, sitting alone on a step of the door, looking at the clouds, while my little sister Catherine, two years old, lay in her coffin, they asked me, did I cry when little Kitty was dead? No, because Kitty had gone to heaven. I wish I could go too with Mama, she thought. This moment on the stoop, however, sounds a believable forlorn note. The little girl who remembered no time before war, whose father was often absent, and whose mother, sister, and grandfather were dead, imagined heaven as a refuge, a reunion. This is Elizabeth looking for fulfillment, that peace. Not so much 24-7 happiness, just peace. At four, she is feeling this desire to be with those who bring her comfort. Today, research studies of the brain tell us it is clear that the first three years of life are the most important in establishing those first relationships for the child and experiencing through attachment that passionate, focused bond that gives a child a sense of being loved and special. Elizabeth very quickly lost all of those relationships, those things that meant something to her, that gave her that security. If we fast forward to Italy, Elizabeth is waiting to return home after her husband's death and is visiting churches with the Feliki family. She is surprised by her own reaction to Mary, that immediate closeness that she felt. She reflected, Mary at the foot of the cross expressed well that iron had entered into her and the shades of death over her agonizing countenance so strongly contrasted the heavenly peace of the dear Redeemer that it seemed as if this, his pains had fallen on her. How hard it was to leave that picture, and how often, even in the few hours interval since I have seen it, I shut my eyes and recall it in imagination. Elizabeth knows Mary understands the weight of death the iron that entered her. And Elizabeth is wondering, how has Mary been able to take hold of it? How has she moved past it, accepted it? Elizabeth saw the images of the Madonna and child everywhere, and they added a female and maternal dimension to the Christian faith that she had known as centered on only the father and son. Finding the memorari in a prayer book, Elizabeth writes to Elizabeth Seton, her sister-in-law, that she has found a mother. She writes, Really, I had a mother, which you know my foolish heart so often lamented to have lost in early years. From the first remembrance of infancy, I have looked in all the plays of childhood and the wildness of youth to the clouds for my mother. She wrote as she meditated on the Madonna, and at that moment it seemed as if I had found her. I have found her. Even in the tenderness and pity of a mother, so I cried myself to sleep in her heart. Catherine O'Donnell wrote that Mary offered a presence that Elizabeth had sought for her entire life. She had found her mother. I think the memorari is key. Remember, oh 
most gracious Virgin Mary, that never was it known that anyone who fled to thy protection, implored thy help, or sought thy intercession was left unaided. She, too, felt those words deeply. She believed in them. She had a mother present that would help her, be with her, protect her. I think as we talk to our mothers for comfort, we look for them to give us that comfort. Elizabeth did that with Mary. She carried a picture of Mary with her for the rest of her life. She wrote to her own sister, Mary Bailey Post, how on a stormy night, she dropped asleep with her crucifix under her pillow and the Blessed Virgin's picture pressed on her heart. How tight I held on to my little picture as a mark of confidence in her prayers, who must be tenderly interested in souls so dearly purchased by her son. Mary brought Elizabeth peace. That peace, that comfort, that reassurance that Elizabeth needed after the loss of her mother. Going back to what she wrote to Rebecca Seaton, I have found her. And she held on to that and truly believed that. Now with Joseph, this is a little bit more interesting. She never really writes about Joseph, yet she named everything that was important to her after him, her school, her sisterhood, her chapel, her land. Elizabeth's relationship with her own father was a difficult one, one many people can relate to. Wanting to have the acceptance of a father that is not there, that is missing in action. Her father, Richard Bailey, was a doctor, a public health official. He left the girls with family, friends, and then his new wife while he was off researching, studying, furthering his education, being a doctor. Not uncommon for men at that period of time. I think people make the assumption that that's why he neglected her. And in some ways that's true. He could only focus on one thing. And he was so passionate about helping those in need. But we do know of other fathers during that time, like Robert Goodloe Harper comes to mind, or Charles Carroll, who were very busy men in their own right, but yet seemed to have this strong connection with their daughters. They made sure that they came to the academy to see them, that they spent time with them. I think that's something that Elizabeth truly admired. She wanted a relationship with her father. And they did share many interests, that is true. They were both especially interested in education, and she worked very hard to relate to him in this way. She would become very much like her father, wanting to take care of those in need. It is said that Dr. Richard Bailey was a complete self-sacrificing physician who gave himself to the poor as to the rich. He died as a result of ministering to the immigrants by contracting typhus. He was conflicted between education and research, dedicated service and family. It is this dilemma that he passed on to Elizabeth. But Elizabeth works very hard not to repeat her father's mistake. And even though she is taking care of those in need and is very busy with the sisterhood, she is very present with her children. 
As I said, there's not much that Elizabeth writes about St. Joseph. But Father Charles Wright, the first autobiographer of Elizabeth, wrote that Mother Seton, as we know, had placed her community in a special manner under the protection of St. Joseph, the patron of those who are in charge with the care and instruction of the youth. Accordingly, the first high mass chanted in the large chapel was celebrated on his festival, the 19th of March, 1810. She made sure that the first mass at the academy was said on his feast day. He truly meant something very much to her. We can draw our own conclusions and assume that she felt solace in his protection as she placed those things most important to her under his guidance, her children, her sisters, and her students, and was assured that he would be there, that he would be there for her, for her children, and for her sisterhood. Jesus. It was the Felikis who explained to Elizabeth the church's teaching on the Eucharist and the real presence to her. And Elizabeth, much to her surprise, found herself more attracted than repelled. She said, how happy we would be if we believed what these dear souls believed. She wrote this to her sister-in-law, that they possess God in the sacrament and that he remains in their churches and is carried to them when they are sick. She knew that she should reject this idea. Her Episcopalian faith taught her that the Eucharist was a sacrilege. However, to her, it did not feel like a sacrilege. It felt true. It felt right. One day, while Elizabeth was out walking, a Eucharist procession passed her by. She later recalled, I fell on my knees without thinking and cried in agony to God to bless me as if he was there, that my whole soul desired him. Elizabeth had had a relationship with Jesus before she entered the church. That was not new. After her husband and father's death, though, she seemed to lean into Jesus. She felt, as she said, the protective presence and the consoling grace of my Redeemer and God. Likewise, quoting the Psalms, she wrote, He raises me from the dust to feel that I am near him. He drives away all terror to fill me with his consolations. He is my guide, my friend, and my supporter. With such a guide, can I fear? With such a friend, shall I not be satisfied? With such a supporter, can I fall? Elizabeth had a devotion to the divine infant as well. Through him, there was salvation. She would tell her students to give a gift to the infant Jesus during Advent. Do a work of kindness, she would say. Now this beautiful season of Advent, do try to take its spirit, my friend, to think of it as your last. You have so many opportunities to love Jesus in his poor, to make the little babe so many presents.
She truly felt the holy family. She loved the nativity. She was in Italy in 1803 during Advent. It is to be sure that she saw the beautiful nativities that the city had to offer. She understood and loved that image of our Lord as an infant. I want to revisit Elizabeth's childhood. Elizabeth had times of loneliness and sadness as a child, so much that she did not trust happiness. I believe this too happens to many people and where we can look to Elizabeth for guidance. When you experience so much sadness, you start to not trust happiness. It's easier to expect the worst than to be in happiness and fear sadness at any moment. Sister Betty Ann wrote, As a young girl, Elizabeth struggled with feelings of loneliness. She also struggled to enjoy happiness when it came. I prefer sadness, Elizabeth wrote, describing her tendency towards melancholy, because I know it may be removed it may change to cheerfulness, but gaiety, I am sure, will change to sadness before the day ends. I think that statement is so true of so many people. They get comfortable being sad. It's almost more comforting, almost more peaceful in the sense that you don't have that fear of happiness turning to sadness. Yet as Elizabeth grows and takes Jesus and the Holy Family as her own, she changes. She wrote to her sister-in-law, Cecilia, Oh my soul, there is a heaven. There is a Savior. There is a pure and perfect felicity under the shadow of his wings. There is rest from our labors, peace from our enemies, freedom from our sins. There we shall always be joyful, always beholding the presence of him who has purchased and prepared for us this unutterable glory. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. While Elizabeth was touring churches in Italy, she said she was drawn to the beautiful churches. Yet more than that, it was what she felt. She wrote Rebecca Seaton. I was struck with the hundreds of people kneeling in the darkened nave, lighted only by wax tapers, and a kind of soft and distant music which lifted the mind to the foretaste of heavenly pleasure. In response, she sunk to her knees a shed of torrent of tears at how long she had been a stranger in the house of her God and the accompanied sorrow that had separated her from it. She had found a home before the church had just been a house. Now it was her home. She felt truly connected to the Holy Family. The sorrow, the sadness, the loneliness, she let it all go. She had found her home. She had found her family in the Holy Family, in Jesus, Mary, and Joseph. She no longer looked at happiness as a place to fall from, 
but sadness as a place to rise from. She found hope. Well, thank you for joining me today. I think I can speak on behalf of Bridget and myself that it is our wish that you find your hope and peace in this coming year. And take a lesson from Elizabeth. Lean into the Holy Family. They are always with you. They always love you. And they always will protect you.